Welcome to Vineyard Hopkinton. As we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit, create a multicultural community, and pursue kingdom of God justice. Good morning. My name is Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here. We are happy that you're here with us. Uh, how many of us have been baptized? Raise your hand. Do you remember when you were baptized? If you were an infant, that may be harder. Uh, but for the rest of us that can have memories of it, think about it for a minute. Think about uh, where it was, who did it, uh, what the kind of process was leading up to being baptized. Um, let's see, what you ate for breakfast that morning. No, I don't know. Uh, what else would you think about relating to it? Uh, what was going on in your life? What happened in your life afterwards? All those things. You picturing it? You have this beautiful image in your mind right now. Um, so when I was baptized, uh, I'll tell you about that. I was uh, either 11 or 12. It was so long ago, I can't remember exact ages. Um, I'm joking. Uh, but I was 11 or 12. Um, it was Easter Sunday and my dad's birthday, and my dad was the pastor who baptized me. So it was like a big, you know, a big thing for him, which was great. It was a big thing for me too, but I mean, it was written, no. Uh, but like, it, it, it was a big thing for the family. Um, we had a, uh, baptismal that was like in the, in the back. It, w- it was like below the cross, that sort of space. Um, and it was one of those like five feet high, you walk into it sort of things. And, um, it was, uh, we had to wear choir robes. I don't know why other than like, that's just what you do when you get baptized, I guess. Um, and so I'm like 11 or 12. I was super skinny as a kid. Like I graduated high school at 1:30. So at that point I was like 75 pounds. So I'm in this billowing choir robe in the water, like floating like a squid or something. I don't know. Um, and, uh, getting dunked. My dad's doing it. He asked me a couple questions and did the thing beforehand. I don't remember us having, I mean, I'm sure that we talked about like, this is what baptism is. And you know, this is why you would do it. And do you actually want to do, I'm sure that my dad did all those things. Uh, but I don't remember anything like official, you know what I mean? Which is probably the, the pastor kid part playing a little bit of a role there too. Uh, everything was unofficially official, uh, in our house growing up. So, that was, that was kind of, and then afterward, you know, it was good. It was a party. It was Easter, you know, all of that. That was how I was, that was when I was baptized. When, uh, in Colossians 2, what Melissa just read, Paul talks about this big issue in the church of Colossae, and he connects it all by talking about baptism. He says, for you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Uh, You may or may not realize that baptism is the oldest tradition in the church. It predates uh, Jesus kind of being our savior, you know, like he was baptized. It goes back that far. Um, And so it's been done in the church for the past 2000 years. There is this text that um, if you go to seminary, you have to learn, and otherwise you probably have never heard of, uh, called the Apostolic Tradition uh, by a guy named Hippolytus who lived in Rome back in the 3rd century. And it lays out the baptism practices 
for the early church. So if you'll humor me, let me tell you what they did. It will look very different from anything you did, I can pretty much guarantee. Uh, so leading up to being baptized was a big thing back then. The people would be prayed over by leaders several times in the months leading up to it. Uh, for uh, attachments to sin to be taken away, uh, for demons to come out. Uh, you probably didn't have a demon possession prayer or an exorcism, you know, before getting baptized. Uh, that was a pretty common thing back then that they did. Uh, and then during that time that they were being prayed over over a period of weeks, uh, the um, people would also fast and pray, sometimes for up to 40 days leading up to being baptized. Um, again, probably a little different than what you and I did. Um, and then the night before they were baptized, they would stay up all night at the house church, wherever they were at. And the leaders of the church would pray over them and would teach them more on what was getting ready to happen. So an all night vigil leading up to being baptized. And then they would get to the actual like service. And before being baptized, they would go through a series of questions that they would answer, professing their faith, turning away from darkness and sin. They were anointed with oil by the leaders, which happened after they were baptized and before. And then finally, they would remove a piece of clothing, not in a scandalous way, but it, it was just an outer layer to show that they were casting off something and uh, preparing that they were like prepared to walk into new life with whatever Jesus was going to put on them versus what they came in with. So uh, most baptisms took place in a, in a bath pool, which had stairs going down into it. They would go in, they would walk all the way through the water and then they would come out on the other side. So let me I have props. That, that's why I have this here. People were like, who's getting baptized? I'm like, me. No. Uh, so there's no water in there, by the way. I'm not going to be like, oh, no. Uh, it, it's, it's empty. I'm just doing props. But so this is what they would do. They would have something black on them. And they would say whatever it was that they were casting off. And they would walk up. And before they walked down the stairs, they would drop it. And they were kind of in a vulnerable place of saying, I have nothing. I'm empty. It's just me. And then they would walk down and they would get in. This is what we would do. They would get into the water and they would go all the way under. And this sounds echoey in here. It's kind of funny. Uh, <laughs> so when they're in the water, it's a process of dying to themselves, literally going into the grave. Now, what Paul says is that in Colossae, what's happening is they get stuck here and they say, wait, I forgot something. And they jump out and they go back and they grab this and they put it back on. And then they go and grab other things that they throw on themselves before they go back to the water. They're adding things to who they are and to what Jesus is giving them. And there's false teachers that are kind of grabbing their hands and that are yanking them out 
of the baptismal waters and saying, you're not actually ready yet. They're saying you need more than Jesus. It's Jesus plus these practices. I mean, look at me. Look at how holy that I am. Don't you want to be like me? This is what they're saying to him. Don't you want to have the experiences that I'm having? And they're describing their spiritual encounters that they're having. Don't you, you need to have all of this before you can go through and be in that place with Jesus. And Paul hears about it. And that's the whole reason for writing this letter. And he says, time out, guys. Don't you remember what I taught you? Like the whole message was simple. That Jesus is enough. That there's no additional things that you add on to Jesus. There's no extra that you need to put on. He is enough. Essentially, Paul's saying, if he was writing to us, hey, your FOMO is leading you to bad places. You don't need it. Leave it alone and accept Jesus. He's enough. There's this song that we sing called In Christ Alone. And as I was reading this passage, it just hit me of kind of the truth that we're singing when we sing this song as we continue this series. And it says, In Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. In Christ alone who took on flesh this gift of love and righteousness for every sin on Him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. And Paul's saying, here in these waters, here at the cross, in the death of Christ, is where we gain life. To add something to Jesus means that we're saying that He's not enough. The great news is that He is. Let's pray, and then we're going to keep going and dig into what Paul has to say to us, not just then. Holy Spirit, we just welcome You to come. I thank you that you are enough, Jesus. It it is vulnerable to reach the place of saying, like, this is just me. This is who I am. But Jesus, I just pray that this morning that we'll be willing to come to you with just us, which is what you want anyway. Give us courage to come to you as we are and to walk into your life. Not to try and grab other things and and add on. Give us confidence in who you are. Reveal to us even more deeply this morning who you are and what it is that you're up to in our hearts and in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So verse 4 said, I'm telling you this, so that no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. Then verse 8, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world. 
Paul can throw some daggers when he wants to, and high-sounding nonsense is not a nice phrase. Nobody would have appreciated that. But he's using all these, like, kidnappy phrases, like captured and deceived. Like, why is he using these words when he's talking about what they're doing? Uh, Paul, the way that he writes his letters is that he doesn't usually call somebody out by name. He usually tells us all about what they're doing and lets the people reading it be like, oh, it's that dude. Like he lets the, the onus be on them to figure out who it is that's leading them in the negative ways. And this is no exception, but Paul does something interesting here. He does, he, he has a little bit of a pun, but it's in Greek. So I, I don't hold you, uh, like accountable for knowing the pun. But the Greek word for capture sounds like this word. Tell me if you recognize it. Synagogue. You recognize that? Yeah, that's an easy one. Um, so it sounds almost the exact same. So if you can imagine, like, sitting hearing it for the first time, and they say capture, it, like, with high sounding and all that, uh, they would have known exactly who he was talking about. Uh N.T. Wright says that Paul's basically saying like, hey, folks, be careful that no one snatches you away from Jesus and locks you up in Judaism. Uh, he's not throwing all of Judaism under the bus, so it's a specific group that he's going at. He says, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high sounding nonsense. Now, they would not have appreciated this description, but there are two groups in Colossae that would have fit this really, really well. Uh, mystical polytheism and mystical Judaism. So a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned that polytheism was kind of the religious way of the town of Colossae. Polytheism means that all gods are good. You can take anybody just add them in. It doesn't matter. Like, just keep, as long as you're worshiping people, it's good. We don't have preferences. Or if we have preferences, it's just because that's the one we like the most. But you can have whatever preference that you want when it comes to worship. Basically, it's like, on Mondays, we worship Zeus. On Tuesdays, we go to the synagogue. On Wednesday, we go to Bible study at the house church. On Thursdays, we do some temple worship at the temple of Athena. Like this was the way that people worshipped in the city of Colossae. This is how every good Colossian was raised. So they say like, Jesus, sure, that's fine. Add him to the list. I have 15 others that I worship too. Like, I'll just go around and drop $5 in the box. Like, uh, like that's totally fine. It doesn't bother me at all. Jesus plus Zeus plus a kosher diet plus pagan temple worship. Like, that's fine. That's what they would say. So mystical Judaism is obviously different than that, as you would expect. Uh, it was very focused on the supernatural extremely focused and on figuring out the secret plans of God. So they wanted to know because they thought that like the only people who would know God's plan for the end were the special ones who learned all the secret things. And so they were like obsessed with learning, figuring out what the secrets were. 
And they were also obsessed with angels and supernatural beings. I don't know if you caught it when Melissa was reading it, but he really calls them out. And he basically says, like, you guys are basically worshiping angels instead of God, which would not have been appreciated. Uh, and they also, they had another edge to it. And it's kind of the opposite of the polytheist, but they were extreme, uh, uh, extremely obsessed with rejecting anything pleasurable. Like extremely obsessed. So it, almost to the point of like hurting themselves because of it. So chocolate and movies, they didn't have movies, but you know what I mean. Chocolate and uh, alcohol and sex and uh, whatever it would be, video games, I don't know. Whatever it would be, they would be like, throw it all out. It's not like none of that's good. And even like the base level stuff, like hanging out with your friends or going golfing, they're like, throw it out. I'm going to sacrifice everything. Like I'll get rid of it all. Nothing that brings me pleasure. So it's Jesus plus Jewish religious practices plus abstaining from sensual pleasures. And what Paul says is, hey, you know what this actually looks like, guys? It looks like when you were baptized, if somebody came and grabbed your hand and yanked you back out before you can make it to the other side. It looks like you gave up on that because you got convinced that there was something extra that you needed. And here's where it hits us. We do this too. It is not an ancient practice. Uh, We struggle with this too. Sometimes we buy into the high-sounding nonsense. I'll use Paul's words to make us uncomfortable about ourselves too of what I would call comfortable polytheism. So polytheism is being open to many gods. And our cultural code is about avoiding, avoiding conflict in any way, shape, or form that we can, right? Uh, we, we either love conflict or we hate it. And usually with religion, we try and avoid it. Uh, and so we say things like, I don't want to offend anybody, so I don't want to make any definitive statements. And... We don't really believe that all gods are equal. But in an effort to keep things casual and normal, we're pretty comfortable to just slide into comfortable polytheism. Why create awkwardness when we don't have to, right? And so it's Jesus plus whatever God's being brought up in casual, polite conversation. Other times, we can fall into the empty philosophy of what I would call mystical spirituality. We find all of these fun new spiritual practices from different religions, different groups, and we're like, ooh, this is cool. Oh, I like that one. Oh, and we start saying things like, uh, sorry if I poke you right here, guys. If you've said this one, I know, I know, I know, I'm getting at you a little bit, but... We say things like, I follow Jesus, but I am learning so much from this new practice. Or, I'm I've just, my spiritual life has opened up since I started doing this other thing. And what we're doing in that is that we're saying, 
Jesus isn't quite enough. And so we're under the baptismal water, but we're like, I just, I'm bored. Jesus probably won't do it for me. So we jump back out and we say, we need to add, we need to have Jesus plus new and exciting spirituality. Sometimes we keep it simple and we stick to the tried and true American way of religious politics. You ever heard somebody say this? True Christians vote Republican? I won't make eye contact. Um, I'll turn around when I say this one too. Uh, people who love Jesus, love like Jesus vote Democrat? You ever heard that sort of a statement? If you haven't, you're... Uh, Yep, you probably need to get out a little bit more. It is out there. Uh, we dip ourselves when we do this into a completely different pool of water. It's not the same. We think that it sounds like Jesus. We think that it looks like Jesus. But really what we're in is something completely other than Jesus. But what we say is we kind of justify it by saying like, well, I don't see Jesus anywhere on the ballot. So instead of sticking to what Jesus is calling us to, it's Jesus plus political ideals. And the last one, and uh, many Christians fall into this, especially early on in following Jesus. It's the high sounding nonsense of religious fervor. If I do this thing, then I will prove that I am a real Christian. If I become a missionary, if I plant a church, if I fast for 40 days, uh, if I quit my job and, I don't know, uh, go off the grid and just read my Bible all the time forever. Like, I, I don't know, whatever it is. But we get ourselves really worked up and we're like, if I do this, then I will reach it. And we look at, we tell other people about it and we think that they look at us and think, wow, you're so amazing. They may not actually be thinking that. They may be praying for you. Um, but we think like, I am the prototype Christian. If Jesus was calling disciples today, I, not Peter, not John, the one he loved, I, Stephen, would be right next to him. Like, that's where I would be in the order. It's Jesus plus me sacrificing everything. Uh, when Sarah and I were first dating, uh, and when we first got married, we would go hiking with friends. Sarah loves to go hiking. Um, and because we're dating, I said that I liked hiking too. Because that's what you do. Right? That's what you do. You pretend to be somebody else so that the person will like you. That's If you're single now, you know. That's the trick. Just like... No, no it's terrible. It's terrible advice. Uh, but... Uh, we, I did it because that's what I do. And we would go hiking, uh, not infrequently. When we moved to Connecticut, we would go hiking with our friends, Scott and Katie. And there was one time, like probably a year into being married, we're hiking and it was miserable. 
Like, part of the problem is that I don't know how to hike well. Like, I probably wear the wrong things. Like, I don't bring enough water. I don't know. I just don't do it well at all because I don't care. And I, Anyway, so, like, I do it wrong. And so, like, I'm sweating in the bugs. I hate the bugs so much. And I'm just getting more and more cranky as we're going. And I'm kind of behind them. They're all ahead and, like, chatty. And I'm like, just leave me alone. And, like, it's bad. And so, like, at one point, we're walking, and I'm like, wait a minute. I'm married. This nonsense, I'm done. We went home, and I was like, guess what? Not going hiking. Go with your friends. Happy for you. Out. I'm out. And, like, all of a sudden, Sarah was probably like, thank you. You finally answered my prayer. Like, because I know that I am not nice when I get like, you know, like, it's not my best. So, it, me hiking is like adding something to Jesus. It is pointless. It is worthless. And it will make your life worse. Like, it is not good. So stop it. Stop trying to add things. The equation isn't Jesus plus something equals all that we could ever imagine. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. There's no more. It's just Him. And that's good news because He is actually enough. And honestly, friends, I would say that if we don't believe that He's enough, then we need to allow ourselves to say, do we actually know who Jesus is? Have we actually allowed ourselves to meet Jesus, to encounter Him? And what I love about how Paul writes is that he tells us the bad stuff, but he surrounds it with so much good truth. And so that's what he does here. He tells us who Jesus is in chapters 1 and 2. He says that Jesus is God, that he's the visible image of the invisible God, that he's always been God, that he existed before anything was created, that he's the creator. Through him, God created everything that he's risen from the dead, that he's supreme over all who rise from the dead, that Jesus is peace, and he made peace with everything, that Jesus is your reconciler with God, that he has now reconciled you to himself, that he lives in you. Christ lives in you, and this gives you assurance of sharing his glory. And that he gives us a deep power that's within us and stays there. Depending, that we are depending on Christ's mighty power that works within us. That Jesus is God's secret plan for humanity. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. And the last thing he says about Jesus is that he raises us to life. That you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God. And it's in that that Paul begins to connect us to the act of baptism. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Paul's saying it's 
Baptism versus circumcision. Christian versus Jewish, not Christian versus, or I mean, not Jewish versus Gentile, like we sometimes think that it is. And these mystical Jewish folks were very serious about their circumcision. Thankfully, that's not the first thing that Jesus wants us to think about when we follow him. All the men are saying, Amen. But Paul's saying something very specific. He's saying, you guys, circumcision at this point is empty. It marks you, sure. It does not save you. He's saying, how about you try something that actually gives you life? How about you take something that actually does something? He's saying baptism is life-giving. It marks you. It shows the truth of the life that you have now. And T. Wright wrote that outward and visible entry into this outward and visible family of God is accomplished through the rite of baptism. When you've been marked by Jesus, you've been welcomed into God's family. You're walking in new life. Why would you want something else? Why would you want to add extras on top of that? You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for He forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us. He took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, He disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities, basically the people telling you lies. He shamed them publicly by His victory over them on the cross. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. Jesus' death on the cross was for us. He died in our place. To use Paul's imagery, we were covered. This was us. We were so covered in it. We were six feet under the dirt. The worms were getting at us. We're inhaling dirt. We're dying. We're decomposing in sin. We have no hope of life because we can't get ourselves out from the pit that we are in at that point. And in the middle of that, Jesus calls us out of that pit and He gives us life. And He invites us in. He gives us life. He breathes air. He cleans us up. He takes away all the junk that was in us and on us and that was causing us to fall apart. And so, in true Paul form, stop letting these fools tell you that you need something extra. Stop adding to the good news of Jesus. Don't let anybody come and pile you under a mound of religious rules and regulations and empty philosophies. Jesus has given you life, so why would you ever dare to try and push it away in favor of something else? 
It's not Jesus plus something. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. What do we do, though, when we reach that place and we're like, but what if it's not enough? What if it doesn't feel like it's enough? Keep following Jesus, and you'll see it is. Enjoy the freedom that he brings. And actually accept his new life. Essentially, live out your baptism. What we need to do, friends, is we need to go through the whole thing. We need to come and acknowledge that we in some ways may still be under this. Even if you've been following him for 50 years, there may be something you're still grabbed to hold of because it's vulnerable to let it down. It's vulnerable to just say, Jesus only, essentially. But we need to come and we need to drop it. And stand in that vulnerable place, allowing the process of Jesus transforming us to actually do what it needs to do. And then we need to go down into the water and allow ourselves to die. To actually be buried under the water and allow it to change us. And at that point, if we allow ourselves, when we stand up, and we come out the other side, there's something better. There's something waiting for us that we take on. It's new life. And it heals us. And it makes us whole. And it restores us. And it changes us. This is what we have the option of carrying with us. Why do we keep wanting to grab a hold of that? Why would we ever reject the wholeness that Jesus has for us? Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Healing, wholeness, freedom, life. So my question for us this morning, worship team, you can come on up is what do you need to drop? What do you need to get rid of? What are you holding on to that you've been afraid to release? It may not look like it's causing you to decompose. It may sound good. But if you're adding something to Jesus... You need to let it go. And you need to accept Him completely. You know, I just feel like for some of us, this may be something that we need to like, almost like physically do. We need to shake it off. We need to just actually say, I'm letting it go. And drop it with our hands. And acknowledge, yeah, I've been holding on to that for a really long time. An addiction. Some way of thinking about yourself that you feel... You, you've 
welcomed in what other people have told you about you not being worth it, about you not being enough. You've allowed it to settle in. And so you never feel like you can accept all that Jesus has for you because it's there all the time. Maybe it's just simply fear. You're saying, honestly, Stephen, I am scared to be vulnerable, even with Jesus. Maybe you're saying, I'm scared that if I say yes, that he's going to do some crazy nonsense on me, and I'm going to turn into one of those crazy folks. You probably won't. Jesus is pretty kind to us. But maybe it's fear. What is it that you need to let go of this morning? You can't carry the extras into new life with Jesus. But he gives you what you need to let go of them and then to accept his life. Are you willing to drop it. I want to pray for us. And I just also feel like for some of us, it's just simply that if we're being real, we don't think Jesus is enough. And I'm not judging. It's real. But you're saying, I just don't know that he's actually enough. And I think he wants to meet you in that. If you're willing to say, that's honestly where I'm at, Jesus. So wherever you're coming from this morning, let's stand. But I just want to invite you. If you want to kind of, as you stand, you can casually shake it off, you know, like do whatever you need to do. Uh, Use that, that movement as your excuse. But if you need to drop something, drop it. And let's just invite Jesus to come and to speak to us, to heal us, to cleanse us, to free us this morning. So if you're willing to accept that, just open your hands and let's just invite him to come. So Jesus, we just say, come and move. God, I pray for courage for those of us that have been holding on to something extra for a long time. Courage to be able to let it go. Maybe courage just to even admit that it's a thing. Courage to say, yeah, I've actually been holding on to this thing. Give us courage. And God, I pray that this morning that we will be able to walk all the way through the water. That we'll be able to take on your life this morning. Come and renew us. Come and restore us. Come and heal us. Jesus, I do just pray for people that have 
uh, just held on to comments that people have said to them about them not being enough. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you will come and just break those off. I pray for truth to start to ring. That they are loved, that they are yours, that they are enough, that they will hear your voice speaking clearly to them. In Jesus' name, just come, speak truth. And Jesus, I just pray also for anything spiritual that's attached. We just ask for you to come and to just simply cut it off. Doesn't matter where it came from. Doesn't matter whatever. You are more powerful. And so we just ask for you to come and to simply just cut it out. Break it off and bring freedom. So we just invite you to come as we worship. I pray that we will be aware of your presence coming and filling us, restoring us, renewing us this morning. In Jesus' name.